independent media is more important than ever. We don't have a corporate network behind us, and we also don't have big green foundation grants. So we really do need you, and we are actively calling in your direct support so that we can continue exploring many of these topics and perspectives, often sidelined by mainstream media. If you're enjoying our show, please make sure you're subscribed and join us on Patreon today, starting at a tip of just $3 at patreon.com slash green dreamer. Every little bit helps and really adds up. And that is the power in community. So thank you so much for however you're able to support our work. Hey there, you're listening to Green Dreamer, which is a community-supported independent podcast. By now, we have an extensive archive of over 240 in-depth episodes, which did take a lot of work to keep up and produce for the past years. So if you've learned anything or have been inspired by our show, I am kindly asking for your direct support today, if you can, so that I can keep this show going and accessible to everyone. To join us on Patreon, where we're starting to share some bonus content, authors, book giveaways and so on you can head to greendreamer.com support i have really come to understand that sustainability and healing are, are really interchangeable words we're talking about creating a return to wholeness and how can we possibly expect wholeness to not include justice on every front racial justice societal justice environmental justice they're all expressions of this feeling or this idea of separation, that we're separate from one another, that we're separate from, from the rest of nature. And so I think we have to really go to the root of that separateness to, to work on healing any of these problems. Today, we're speaking with William Defebaugh, the editor of an environmental magazine called Atmos, a storyteller and an astrology teacher who's passionate about using ancient practices to understand nature as the divine mirror. Their latest Atmos volume is titled Flourish Slash Collapse. And although we recorded this before the recent global rallying behind the Black Lives Matter movement, which we support, I think this theme of decay and collapse feeding into growth is very applicable to not just the pandemic and how it's birthing new normals after a period of disruption, but also to institutionalized violence and racism and how the cost to defund, dismantle, or abolish the current police system may give space for us to re-envision other more restorative, transformative, and regenerative models of community safety. So as you listen to this conversation, I encourage you to keep this in mind to see how what we discuss us might be analogies to our work to achieve social justice. Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast exploring our paths to ecological balance, intersectional sustainability, and true abundance and wellness for all. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Nature has always been a huge source of inspiration for me, really the only source of inspiration. And when I was, you know, just starting out as a journalist, I, had, of course, studied environmental journalism in school, but kind of moving to New York City, the way I got my foot in the door in publishing was really 
through the fashion industry. And I spent about 10 years working in fashion publishing and, you know, everywhere from Vogue and bigger publications to smaller independent ones. I spent about five years at V Magazine and I was really taken away by the creativity within that industry. But I struggled a lot with the feeling and the weight surrounding how much was being consumed and produced, of course. And a question that really came up for me at a certain point in that journey was, why is it so hard for people to really listen to what climate science is telling us? Because we know, of course, that the information has really been out there for for decades now. So why have people not been connecting to it? And at some point in that journey, I met my business partner, Jake, who I work on the issue with, uh, the magazine with. And we had our first conversations about creating Atmos together. And we knew right away that the theme of the first issue, this was a few years ago, was going to be neo-natural. Because the question that was really in my mind was, at what point did we separate ourselves from nature? So what does the word natural really mean to us in in today's world? And I got really interested in this idea of natural meaning not made by humankind, mm-hmm. right? And I think that there's a huge, huge power that comes with language. And at some point, we linguistically separated ourselves from the rest of nature. And I've always struggled with this idea because we come from nature and we are nature. And this really relates to why I feel we haven't been paying attention to what nature has been trying to tell us, what climate science has been trying to tell us. And the heart of that issue is that we don't feel connected to nature because we've removed ourselves from it. And I think it's very hard for people to care about something they don't feel personally connected to. Right. So my my greatest inspiration and sort of goal that I've been working with is is to just remind people of their connection to nature, because I think that that is the greatest catalyzing force that there is. So you are a storyteller and astrology teacher today who's passionate about using ancient practices to understand nature as the divine mirror. What unique perspectives has astrology given you in your understanding of our humanity's place on Earth? And what does it mean for us to understand nature as a divine mirror? So in my perspective, there's so many different languages for saying the same thing essentially, which is that we are products of our environment, right? We are part of nature. We are created by nature. And there's so many different languages and practices that really kind of share that same truth. And I really like to think of it as if you are walking through Times Square and it's crowded and busy, you're going to have a certain experience holding that within your body, right? There's a certain energy of what that's like versus, you know, walking by yourself through serene woods in nature. We are always affected by our environments. And so many different cultures throughout time have really um, practiced syncing themselves up with the rhythms of nature, whether it's through the seasons or through the lunar cycles. And I think that that's something that's been really lost. 
in today's culture for so many of us is just the simple act of attuning ourselves to nature. And so to me, you know, whether you, you want to look at it through, through whichever sort of lens feels comfortable for you, if it's just looking at seasons, there's the Ayurvedic approach, which I, I have found to be really powerful. Or if you're looking at it through astrology, they're all just sort of different ways of saying the same thing, which is how can we more appropriately attune ourselves to the energy of everything, which is nature. Mm. So do you think because we've created a lot of concrete, not really evolving spaces, so places that are very set in stone, you know, if you think about downtown New York City, places where there aren't a lot of trees even for us to be able to see that seasonality, does that sort of influence how we behave when we're disconnected from those ever evolving parts of the environment? Yeah, I think that's a really great point that you bring up. I think that, again, it goes back to sort of this earlier idea. I was saying that it's so hard for us to feel passionate about preserving something that we don't see or something that we don't feel connected to. And so I think so many of us who live in cities where we're not, we're not seeing nature up close all the time, we forget its influence, but its influence is really always there. So one of the missions of Atmos is to really help inspire people to look at humans as one part of nature. Today, we often talk about environmental issues and social issues as if they're two separate things. So I'm wondering if you would challenge that separation and even say that looking at the two differently might be detrimental to whatever decisions we then make or the solutions that we come up with. Absolutely. I think when you really get down to the heart of it, the true problem or the true crisis that we're dealing with is the crisis of separation. And I think everything really boils down to this one idea, which is, you know, of course, us thinking that we're separate from nature, sure, but that we're that we think all of these problems are separate from one another. Mm. And I think that, you know, what we're really talking about, you know, in my in my own journey, I have really come to understand that sustainability and healing are, are really interchangeable words. We're talking about creating a return to wholeness. And how can we possibly expect wholeness to not include justice on every front, racial justice, societal justice, environmental justice? They're all expressions of this feeling or this idea of separation that we're separate from one another, that we're separate from, from the rest of nature. And so I think we have to really go to the root of that separateness to, to work on healing any of these problems. And I feel very, I, I hesitate to use the word hopeful, but I, I do think that we're seeing such incredible shifts in consciousness, particularly in the last few years. You know, it, it just seems like when we were starting Atmos, two and a half years ago now, just the collective willingness to listen and, and talk about the climate crisis has just changed. And, you know, in that time, we've seen, you know, Greta sailing across the Atlantic Ocean, we've seen climate become such a big part of the presidential debates here in the US. It's it does feel like there is a there's an awareness that's shifting and 
I take I take solace in that. <laughs> mm. So the recently published volume three of Atmos is titled Flourish Collapse, A Journey Along the Axis of Abundance and Absence, Proliferation and Putrescence, Life and Death, and the Places Where These Forces Meet. What inspired this theme for volume three, and why might this be especially pertinent for us to explore today? Such a great question. So this issue has a really interesting backstory, because when we started to work on it, Originally, the theme was just flourish. Mm -hmm. We really wanted to focus on the beauty and the abundance of nature. And it felt like our first two issues had a lot of really heavy subject matter. And, you know, in the climate conversation, we're used to really tackling heavy issues. And so I think perhaps somewhat selfishly, we really wanted an issue to just focus on, you know, reminding ourselves of the beauty of what, what it is that we're hoping to protect and preserve. But very quickly on in the creation of the issue and the planning of it, we realized that that just wasn't possible. And that if we're talking about creating balance in our world, how can we talk about flourish without talking about its mirror, which is collapse? And essentially, we have this idea, you know, even just intrinsically, when you hear the words, we associate flourish with quote unquote, good and collapse with quote unquote, bad. But we see and we have seen in the creation of so many of these stories told in this issue that the opposite is true in so many cases. I mean, the um, largely the climate crisis is happening because of the unbounded flourishing of our species and because of the mindset of limitless economic growth in which we live. And so these are really examples of flourishing being a problem when it's left unchecked and collapse being a very important force within nature to to rebalance itself. And, you know, of course, we we set out to create this issue last fall. So I think we probably had our first meeting for it in, in September of 2019. And we had no idea the landscape that the world would be in when the issue would come out in April of 2020. And of course, you know, this idea of collapse is very much on everyone's minds right now because so many different aspects of society, it seems, have sort of been put on pause or are uh, facing a pretty big reconstruction. And I, I'm hopeful, you know, as, as, tragic and awful as this virus has been, I'm hearing this period of time being referred to as the Great Reset. And I'm really hopeful that this sort of collapse is going to teach teach us how to get into more of a state of balance with our own flourishing. Is there a reason why the title is Flourish Collapse in that order and not Collapse Flourish? Because where life meets death is also where decay can act as a gift to birth new life and feed into new growth. So it could also, it might be like a continuous cycle and balance, but is there a reason why you framed it that way specifically? I absolutely love that question because I have not been asked that question yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know that we put too much conscious thought into which one came first, although there's probably a very interesting reading of that. 
But I will say that it was a very conscious decision to make it flourish slash collapse mm. and not flourish and collapse. And that really relates to the point that you brought up, which is that one begets the other. And, you know, the more we start to look into stories of this, the more we understand that they're really very much expressions of the same thing. You know, we draw these very distinct uh, lines between life and death. But I think in many ways, nature, nature is the entirety of those two things put together. That's what, you know, my really big takeaway in creating the issue was, is that flourish is collapse and collapse is flourish or they're, they can perhaps be seen as, as sort of two ends of a wheel that that's, that are always seeking each other. And that makes the wheel, the wheel turn. I think one of my favorite pieces in this volume is Sweet Poison by Stephanie Moshimer, which is largely a visual photography piece subtitled Potions of Growth and Decay. It's just stunningly done. Earlier, we talked about the mission of Atmos being to encourage people to see that humans are one part of nature. And in some of these elegant portraits that align the growth and decay of humans with the growth and decay of the elements of nature, it becomes really clear that we are one and the same. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on what sorts of ecological imbalances or degradation we may have caused as a, as a result of that perspective of not recognizing ourselves as a part of Earth and trying to avoid these inevitable laws of nature and striving, therefore, for impermanence and maybe the avoidance of decay and death. Well, I'm so happy that you pointed out the story. It's it's one of my favorites in the issue as well. I think it's a it's a really poignant question, if not the question. I think all of all of the ecological imbalances that we are seeing are really a result of our own ego in a sense that we, we think that we aren't capable of permanently disrupting an ecosystem. Although I think that that sort of goes both ways, right? Because it's almost egotistical to think that we can permanently disrupt an ecosystem and that nature isn't capable of, of, um, repairing itself if given the proper time and space to do so. And I think we're seeing a lot of that right now. But I think that, again, it goes back to this idea of us not understanding ourselves as being part of the ecosystems to which we belong. We think of them as being a resource in so many ways instead of, you know, the way some indigenous communities will think of them as a mother. And, there, you know, there's a story on... Um, the indigenous women who are protecting the Amazon in this issue. And there's some really, really poignant statements from them about the differences between how they see the Amazon rainforest and how the people who are extracting from it do. And it really comes down to that question of, you know, what kind of child would kill its own mother? And that, that to me really, that question really says it all. I think that really really clarifies the differences between how the dominant Western culture sees itself as superior to nature and therefore is is rightful in its exploitation of nature. Whereas a lot of more land-based communities, they're able to see themselves as one part of nature and take on a more ecocentric view where they see themselves as equals rather than superiors. Absolutely. And I think that you know, if there's if there's anything that this pandemic is really teaching us, I, I hope it's to be humbled 
you know, I continuously come back to this understanding that nature has, of course, really put us in a, in a timeout. And not only has nature done this, but she's sort of done it with something that's microscopic. And I think that there is a lot that's not really being discussed there. You know, it's she's put us in our place by using essentially like the nail on her pinky finger. <laughs> and I think that I hope that we're able to be humbled by that. So at the heart of this recent issue are the 21st Century's Stewards of the Wild, a collection of incredible individuals and organizations on the front lines of conservation, including diving legend Sylvia Earle, reforestation expert Akira Miyawaki, and Thomas Hildebrandt, the doctor working to save the northern white rhinos from extinction. What are some of the common threads you found as the editor within the messages that they're hoping to get out there, in spite of working in different parts of the world and in different areas of conservation? I think the biggest thing that connects all of the people and the incredible heroes in this portfolio, the message that almost all of them share is stop and take a look around you. You know, in particular, the interview with Sylvia Earle, as well as the interview with um, Dr. Akira Miyawaki, who is an incredible reforestation pioneer in Japan. Both of them really speak to this idea that if you see something, if you really stop and you take a look around you, you know, Miyawaki's looking at it from the perspective of walking through a forest, Sylvia Earle in diving, you can't not experience wonder. And I remember Sylvia Earle said this once that it's sort of like if you were looking and you saw a baby falling out of a burning building, of course, you're going to run and try to catch the baby. And she compares this to her career as being someone who has seen the oceans up close underwater. She has seen many things that we have not seen so many of the effects that we have not seen. And so for her, the question of being an activist and being a protector, well, it's not a question because how can you see something that's happening that's so tragic and not try to do something to help? That's sort of on the on the collapse side, but then on the flourish side, it's also how can you see the wonder of these ecosystems and these places on earth and not and not want to do everything you can to protect them. And so I think it continuously goes back to that idea of reminding people of the world in which that they are a part. There's a favorite line from from her interview, Sylvia Earle's interview in this issue is when she says, I could never understand why everyone was looking up instead of looking down in reference to when space exploration was such a such a massive part of the cultural landscape and she was talking about how there was such an incredible world that was here and undiscovered on our planet in the oceans and you know she talks about her dream being to have kids in school going on deep dive explorations so that they can just behold the magnificence of it. So, I mean, Atmos is just a really beautifully put together magazine with so much substance. And I think its power altogether really lies in how it bridges a lot of worlds. So you have words from legendary conservationists and scientists alongside 
the art of renowned photographers and artists, alongside the sobering messages that members of frontline communities have voiced. What is your thought process as the editor behind giving space to such a diversity of content and visual experience? And what is it that you think this multifaceted way of storytelling can invoke in your audience? Well, I think that storytelling represents the greatest hope that we have. I think that people are moved by stories and I think stories are at the heart of what makes us human. And so, you know, this is sort of very full circle to how our conversation began and and why I was interested in starting Atmos in the first place. But when I was considering this idea of why more people weren't paying attention to the climate science, I also at certain a certain point considered that for so long, the information was always presented in a very scientific way, with good reason. But I thought, well, what would happen if we connected the artists and the great storytellers of today to this information that so desperately needs to reach people? And so that that sort of experiment or hypothesis is really how Atmos began. And to me, the, the heart of that idea is really that this is a movement that requires absolutely every single one of us. And it doesn't require everyone to be perfect. It requires everyone to be involved and trying and paying attention. And so to me, the, the mixture of people, fashion photographers doing environmental photo essays and dialogues between artists and activists, that intersection is what really excites me. Because again, if there's any hope, I think it's in healing separation. And so I think we need to be bridging the gaps between these different communities and these different incredible voices in our world. And, you know, the response has been has been really overwhelming, not not just, you know, from the reader side, but from people who want to get involved. You know, every every person we approach is really just so excited, I think, because they're ready to change the stories that they're telling. That that to me is is really inspiring. Right. And certainly you have a background in the fashion publication world. What really stands out to me is how design focused Atmos seems to be, especially compared to most other environmental publications or ones that are focused on heavier or more scientific topics. So I'm wondering why you think art and design is so important to consider as a key part of this publication and what might be the potential in showing that this path can exist for other creatives. Well, I think that For a really long time, people have felt that if they care about art and fashion or anything sort of within that that category of design, then they can't necessarily care about the environment because those things might be mutually exclusive. And I hope that what the publication shows is that they aren't and that it's really needed right now for us to use every sort of aspect of storytelling within our arsenal to get this information to people. And I think telling a beautiful story can be incredibly impactful. It needs to, of course, have the substance behind it. But I think having a beautiful visual language only helps to get the information across. And I also think that, 
you know, one of my favorite interviews we've ever published in the very first issue with the musician and artist Anoni is actually the very first interview I did for the entire magazine. And it really set the tone for me at a certain point in our conversation. She said, well, creativity really is an expression of love for nature. At one point she said, we're all just like children dressing up and playing in the sandbox, trying to imitate nature and all of her unfurling forms. And I still get chills when I think about that. I just got chills too. <laughs> <laughs> I never, I never fully thought of it that way, that creativity is, is an expression. And, you know, to go back to one of your earlier questions, what does it mean to, in my perspective, to be a divine mirror? I think it's just that to recognize that we're always mirroring nature and we're always trying to mirror nature. And so I think nature is the most beautiful thing that there is. So why, why wouldn't our stories about her be beautiful right. and, and painful and flourish and collapse? So as a preview of flourish slash collapse, you say nature is a delicate balance of expansion and collapse, flourish and famine, growth and decay. Have human beings permanently disrupted this cycle, throwing the wheel off its axis? Or is our potential demise just another extinction event that will ultimately pave way for the next species to thrive? Is it still possible for us to return to a point of flourishing without collapse? What would that future look like? End quote. After this beautiful body of work within this volume, what is your inkling of whether it's possible for us to find that balance for ourselves that can enable us to flourish alongside our greater earth? And what do you think that future could look like for us? I think that this issue, having come out when it did, has taught me a lot about how how I perceive the answer to that question, which is to say that I am incredibly overcome by how adaptive our species has proven itself to be in handling the coronavirus pandemic. I mean, we have essentially changed our way of living within a month, two months almost. And that gives me great hope that it is possible to come into a state of balance because people are learning how to live with less. We're learning what is necessary and what isn't. And I think, of course, the great question will be whether or not we're able to really integrate that understanding into our lives when this is quote unquote over. But that has really been a source of, of hope for me, sort of in seeing how these stories, seeing the landscape of the world that this issue ended up coming out, coming out to. And I guess I don't fully know the answer to the question of whether or not we are sort of permanently disrupting the cycle to borrow my own language. I think that only time will tell. And I think that these next few years, the next decade in particular, this is really our opportunity to change the end of the story. And if there's anything that I really believe Again, it's that human beings are incredible storytellers, and I think that we do have the potential to rewrite the story. 
And coming full circle, in the beginning and earlier, we talked about how we can understand nature as a divine mirror. Your Atmos newsletter 44 from late February is titled Mirror Mirror, in which you talk about these things called mirror neurons. I think oftentimes when we think about, you know, what's next for us, are we doomed, are we not, we might feel helpless in just thinking about the grandiosity of everything happening. So I'm wondering if you can share how can understanding mere neurons at a very personal and biological level encourage us to keep taking our steps forward within our own lives to eventually realize the world that we wish to see? Brilliant question. So mirror neurons, for, for a little bit of backstory, they were essentially discovered by a team of scientists in, in Italy in which they were studying the brains of two different monkeys. And they realized that when one monkey was eating a banana and another monkey was watching that first monkey eat the banana, the exact same parts of both of their brains lit up at the same time, even though the second monkey did not have a banana to eat. And what this proved to them was that when we watch behavior change, we internalize it in a very real way. And that is such a source of strength for me in understanding the power of watching other people change and what happens when we change individually and how that is is mirrored in other people that is the reason why you know a teenage girl sailing across the atlantic ocean is so impactful because you think about all of the mirror neurons lighting up in people's brains mm -hmm. understanding and reading that story wow look at what she's doing look at the sacrifice she's making and they understand that they can be making those changes within themselves too and so ultimately what i really believe is that if we want to change the story, we have to embody that change within ourselves because we are the story. And so when we change, the story changes. And so this is, to me, what the idea of the mirror comes down to is you need to embody the world that you wish to create. And if you do that, you're going to inspire the five people in your network to do that. And those five people are going to inspire the five people in their networks. And this is how change really ripples outward. Green Dreamer for our mindful musical intermission. This is The Fruitful Darkness by Trevor Hall. When I look back on those What's an uplifting social media account or publication you follow or a book that's been really profound for you? Uh, I'm going to go with book and I will say The Overstory by Richard Powers. I think that book probably opened my mind more than any other that I've read in recent years, particularly 
as it relates to the power of storytelling and how nature works through all of us. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? I remind myself that I don't know everything and I can't possibly know the end to the story before it's written. Hmm. What's one thing you're working on right now for your health? Boundaries with media. Being a member of the media, I am always reading stories and I'm always engaging with the news. And at a certain point, I have to remind myself to stop and put down the phone or close my computer and just engage with what is. What are you working on right now to elevate your positive impact for our planet? Hopefully everything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But specifically, uh, a lot of the personal work I'm doing right now is around my relationship to clothing. I made a pledge earlier this year to only be Uh, supporting brands whose sustainability practices I can truly verify or secondhand clothing. So that's been a really, really awesome teacher for me. And what makes you most hopeful for our planet at the moment? I think the regeneration that we have seen from uh, human beings slowing down these last few months, both from uh, wildlife and from a pollution standpoint. It's really given me a lot of hope, the power of what happens when we actually take a moment and give the earth a chance to breathe. Well, Green Dreamer, to learn more and stay updated on William's work at Atmos, as well as check out their stunning volume three of the magazine, Flourish Slash Collapse, you can head to www.atmos.earth. And you can also follow them on Instagram at Atmos, that's spelled A-T-M-O-S, and uh, Will Writes. That's W-I-L-L-W-R-I-G-H-T-S. William, thank you so much for joining us here and inspiring us with this beautiful work that I really hope our listener will check out because everything is certainly so visual. And this, of course, is an auditory conversation. So definitely encourage them to go check out the magazine. It's just so beautifully put together and the stories have really touched me as well. What final words of wisdom do you have for us as Green Dreamers to close off? I would say keep thinking of yourself as a mirror and keep thinking about what it is that you are mirroring for other people within your own life. And give yourself a chance to create the change on that individual level.